Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson, and we are continuing our series on the Ten Commandments, and this is episode eight, and we're talking about the Seventh Commandment. And joining us today is an old friend of mine, Pastor Michael Carl, who is the pastor of the Christ the King Charismatic Episcopal Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. You can also hear him on the Power for Living podcast. He also has experience as a journalist and a colleague of mine, I guess you could say, as a Christian school teacher. So, Michael, welcome to the podcast. Hi, glad to be here, Kevin. Well, tell us a little bit about your uh, your adventure here as a Christian school teacher, because that's kind of a, a recent thing in your on your resume. Well, it is. Um, it's also among the more delightful things I've ever done. <laughs> uh, like last year, uh, this started and was born out of the frustration with trying to be a reporter because I was working for a Boston television station and we had a disagreement in philosophy. I wanted to report on things that actually mattered and they wanted me to do stuff that would draw web traffic. So they said, well, uh, goodbye. So then I started to substitute teaching with Kelly Educational Services and that was in the public schools. But a member of my congregation found an ad for a fourth grade teacher opening at this Christian school in Lowell. And he sent me the ad, and I said, oh, cool. Because at the time, my parishioner didn't know that I already knew the pastor of that church and the principal of the school. And so I immediately applied for it. I went in and, I guess, auditioned. You know, I was a substitute on January 3rd of last year, uh, and that was the day I got the job. We had two snow days and started hit the ground running Hmm. full-time in January 8th of uh, 2018, and I've been there a little over a year now, and love everything about it. It's just absolutely remarkable, uh, the relationships with the kids. um, I just absolutely love the kids, uh, even though there's some of them whose heads I want to pinch off. Oh, yeah. But, (laughs) you know, that's that's common with every teacher. Right. And uh, I just absolutely love, you know, I actually... Believe it or not, Kevin, I actually love grading papers. Wow. Uh, I can't say that. I, and I don't quite understand that concept, but okay. <laughs> well, you know, I get, get, a, get a cup of hot cocoa and sit down and, you know, when it's quiet in the evening and cuddle up with some math papers and grade away. And it's, it's a fun thing to do. Um, it's not so much fun when you have to write down a kid's name and uh, make out a detention slip, but right. you know, that's just part of the part of the job. So, but it's a wonderful thing. Now, um, I've got midterm exams coming up. Can I? I've got midterm exams coming up. Can I just ship you some papers to grade? Uh, no. Oh, oh well. I have I have I have enough of my own students, and they're keeping me quite busy because <laughs> as an elementary teacher, I teach all. Yeah. Subjects. Reading, writing, math, science, you know, Bible, of course, in the Christian school, um, grammar, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So I have plenty of papers of mine to grade. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, I'm kind of disappointed to hear this a little bit because one of the reasons why I invited you on the podcast is I was hoping that you would generate more web traffic. But now <laughs> I don't I don't know about this. Well, yeah. Well, let me say something controversial, and I might generate. All right, all right, but not too controversial. Um, <laughs> uh, we are talking about the Ten Commandments, and hoping I'm hoping you're not talking about hitching, unhitching from the Old Testament, or that we don't have to uh, uh, 
consider these anymore? Oh, absolutely not. Um, the whole point of the, you know, when I hear somebody say, well, that's the law, I say, well, wait a minute. Just because Jesus died on the cross, that's not, that doesn't mean it's okay to steal your neighbor's stuff. Now, right. Uh, the moral requirements, you know, biblical holiness are the same. I mean, we're not supposed to be out, you know, cavorting around doing things like that or, you know, taking out our neighbors uh, in one way or the other, you know, because there's a commandment that covers each aspect of that statement. But we're not supposed to be able to do those things. Right. Paul made it clear that just because we're living under grace, I think he says this in Galatians, that doesn't give us the license to go sin. Right. And so, yeah, the commandments are still in effect. Well, and and Paul says to go cheat on your wife or kill somebody. Right, and Paul says clearly in in, in Romans uh, five, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin continue to live any longer therein? And we've been stressing on on this series that we're, we're not we're we're looking at the Ten Commandments as commandments to obey, but we're not looking at them as requirements for salvation either. There you go. That's a good distinction to make. <laughs> That's perfect, as a matter of fact. All right, well, let's jump into our commandment for today for this podcast. And we're looking at Exodus chapter 20, as we have been, and we're looking at verse 14, which is how we would define the, the seventh commandment, at least in our Protestant tradition. Um, and it simply says, you shall not commit adultery. So, uh, Brother Michael, what, what do we mean by adultery? Let's start there. Uh, adultery is, um, see, I mean, Jesus even ramped it up a bit. Yeah. In the Old Testament concept, it might have been literally simply having a physical relationship with someone other than your spouse. But Jesus then upped the ante, so to speak, by saying, I mean, if you go out and you even think about, you know, having intimate relations with another person other than your spouse, you've committed adultery with them in your heart. Right. And so... You know, for those of them, we were just talking about whether or not, well, that's the law. You know, we don't have to do that anymore. Well, okay. But in this case, Jesus even heightened the requirement now because it goes beyond just whether or not you want to touch them. Right. It's if you're thinking about them. And so Jesus, being God in the flesh, has that power to do that. And that means literally don't have intimate relations with anyone other than the, to whom the person you were married in this case, don't dream about having relations with them outside of that. And as a sidebar, if you want to go this far, this also includes, as far as I'm concerned, it includes things like pornography. Right. Because what other reason would you want, you know, to look at a picture or a photograph or a film or whatever of someone committing that kind of thing unless you have an intention of, gaining some sort of satisfaction from yeah. it. So, and I understand that's a major problem in the church, you know, yeah. the evangelical church as well as the others, where, you know, men, you know, and possibly even some women too, are engaging in watching movies, TV right. programs, you know, cable TV shows, um, photographs, whatever, cartoon images even, uh, of people having intimate contact with one another for the purpose of you know, um, how can we say, enjoying it. Yeah. And so I think that adultery commandment includes pornography. Right. In fact, as well uh, as just lusting in the flesh and looking at somebody with your eyes and, you know, raising your eyebrows and stuff at somebody who's attractive. 
Right. Um, if, if it goes beyond that, then you're, if you're, according to Jesus, committing adultery with them in your heart. Right. And, and the issue goes back to, um, I, I think what what sex is and all, and, and how God intertwine that with the with the marriage relationship and so it goes all the way back to genesis 2 where we see that uh, god describes marriage as uh two people leaving their families leaving their parents and clinging to each other and so you have there not just a picture of marriage you have a picture of even a, a physical relationship but more than that you use the word intimacy and so anything that takes away from that intimacy, I think we could probably define under the the definition of adultery. Oh, absolutely. Um, when you lose that uh, sense of, uh, how do you say it, that desire, yeah. interest, compassion, uh, and word intimacy works here very well, and your your mind starts to drift, uh, your attention is diverted to other things, um, then that bond that God wants the man and the woman to have with one another slowly fades. Right. Because there are other things that are entering into the picture. And I might even go so far as to say, and this might be a little controversial if you're looking for some of that. Okay, we're looking for that, this web traffic coming in right now, so everyone listen up. Yeah. yeah. Well, let's see what's happening, but... Uh, if I would actually go so far as to say that if a man or a woman's career or their job or their promotion and you get really into the job. Now, it's okay to enjoy our work because back in Genesis, you know, God gave Adam and Eve or Adam a job pretty, pretty quickly after creation. So work, our work is important. But there's a point to where you can get so wrapped up in your career, uh, your relationships with your office partners, uh, new business associates, uh, your golf buddies, or whoever, when you're, with regards to your career, that your interest and your passion in your spouse can actually begin to fade. Yeah. If you start becoming more comfortable hanging around your office partners, male or female, and enjoying being at work more than you enjoy having a close conversation with your spouse, I think that can even rise to the level of being included in adultery because you're putting something or someone ahead of the intimacy in your fellowship and your relationship with your spouse. Yeah. Now, people can say, well, that's crazy because you're not, you know, you're not doing anything intimate with your computer. But I mean, I think you know what I mean, where... Right. The passion slides away from the family, you know, your wife and your children, and it starts, you know, you're totally wrapped up in your job. And men, more than women, have to be concerned about that because the man was hardwired to be the hunter-gatherer-conqueror and is far more likely to be taken in and consumed with, if you will, passion for his job or his career than a woman is, you know, right. despite 70 years of feminists trying to tell us otherwise. Uh, men are still far more likely to be passionate about their careers. And, you know, I'll give you a very quick example. You know, when I was still in the Army, I'd go to the, you know, the hospital there on Fort Gordon, have to go to the doctor for a test or something, and I'd hear these retired guys, you know, going, well, hello, Sergeant Major, how are you doing? You know, that was their life. 
and they still identified with their career 20 years after being retired. Hmm. They were still sergeant major or colonel or major or whatever. That shows that men can be, will and are far more consumed with their work than women are. And it's a very great temptation is what we're just talking about. Right. That I think it can be adulterous if a man becomes to, starts to love his job and his career more than his wife. Yeah, and that's something that we sometimes neglect when we think about the issue of adultery is that it's not just about sex. It's not just about even sometimes a physical relationship. But I've seen in, in, in recent times, I've seen both male and female, husband and wife, being distracted from their marriage even by just Internet relationships. Uh, people oh, they've yeah. never actually met, and so they haven't had a physical relationship with, yet, yet that emotional bond is building and in in a sense some sort of fantasy world has been almost been created oh yeah it's you know it's when you know what you'd call virtual reality but i mean if you're on facebook and you start exchanging very personal you know notes and messages with you know some facebook person where you're not even really entirely sure of who that other person is because yeah. they can have a phony profile and it can be some, you know, you know, you're sitting there writing, starting to write intimate details to some person, um, you know, and you're, I guess, you're hoping that they look like the photograph on the Facebook <laughs> page, but uh, you can start sharing the details, and they can start sharing things with you, or they, you know, making them up even, you know. Right. But I've heard numerous stories in the last couple of years where some people have actually left their spouses to go meet up with this person they found on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or however many other these things there are now and you know and it was a, it was you know it's, it's sinful but it was also tragic almost tragically funny that it turned out that this was a bait and it was a you know a phony person right but they left their spouse because of that yeah and so we also have to be diligent about who we contact on the internet and right. how often we spend on there you know Facebook is not a spouse. Right. Uh, and as one of the priests in my communion says, uh, he, he also believes that it's impossible, and this is a little excursus here, not about adultery necessarily, but it's impossible for you to have an Internet church service. Yeah, I would agree with and that. His, his reasoning is, you know, from my tradition and communion here, you can't administer the sacraments. Yeah. You know, and baptize somebody or serve Holy Communion to somebody over a web page. Right. And ministry was always intended to be personal as well. You know, so our relationship with God is intended to be personal and not through a computer. Mm. Yes, we can read a devotional and get inspired by it, but I think everybody who's listening knows what I mean. Yeah. Um, you can't be intimate with somebody over the Internet. Right. It's actually literally impossible. You know, my, my wife and I met online, and, you know, we shared details, and we had lots of conversations, even on the phone, um, wrote lots of emails for each other, chatted online quite a bit, um, but nothing, <laughs> we, we both found out we really didn't know each other until we actually met, until we actually uh, met physically, uh, and, and, you know, actually once we got married, we realized... Um, you know, it's not that we were lying about who we were, 
before that, but man, right. there is an aspect to relationship that just cannot be replicated online or uh, even through the phone or through uh, writing or whatever. There is something about Absolutely. that, yeah, that, that personal connection. Yes, and that's why marriage is supposed to be a union of one man and one woman for life, Yeah, but they're supposed to have the physical connection as well. Right. And if you start to desire anything or anyone other than that spouse with whom God connected you, and according to the vows that are still in the Book of Common Prayer, the words are still, till death do you part. You know, and I think, I'm pretty sure God meant that. Right. Uh, that's it. When you're married, you're connected, you're together for life, and it is incumbent upon each married person, husband and wife, to maintain that relationship through thick and thin, or for richer, for poor, for better, for worse, and in sickness and in health. Right. And, you know, and, I mean, these politicians you see on TV, and this freaks me out, you know, especially one former vice presidential candidate in particular, who had a relationship uh, with another woman when his wife was dying of cancer. Mm. Yeah. You know, and that is just, that's, you know, that's the lowest of the low, pretty much, you know, where... When that spouse needs you the most, you're out, you know, looking for fresh flowers to pick. Right. And that is big adultery big time. But, you know, it's it's just as wrong to have an extramarital relationship no matter what the circumstances. Yeah. And that's it. The commandment is pretty clear. You shall not commit adultery. Period. Yeah. There's for no sure. comma on that sentence. You know, um... I, I, I turn to Ro, uh, to Proverbs five, and we have this this warning against adultery here, and here's uh-huh. a guy who's being uh, lured away by a particular woman, and in the midst of that, you know, it's obviously you you don't do this, you don't do this, you don't do this, but then in verse fifteen, uh, we see the drink from water, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. Let her breast fulfill you at all times uh, with, with delight, be intoxicated, always in her love. And so we have here not just a command to, okay, don't commit adultery, don't stray, but delight yourself in the wife of your youth not necessarily your youthful wife um but this is the avenue through which you know we have sexual desire and that's how god made us but god gave us the covenantal marriage relationship to fulfill that that you know go back to first corinthians 7 to talk about that as well better to marry than to burn but so the the command to not commit adultery is also a command to delight yourself in the relationship that god has given you I'm looking at this, I'm looking at the passage now, and verse 19 says, A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breasts fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated, I'm using the English Standard Version, yeah. be intoxicated always in her love. I mean, how much more profound can you get than the Word of God telling you to be so madly and incredibly in love with your wife, it rises to the level of being compared with being
suffocated by it. Yeah. That's pretty well being saturated with the love and passion for the spouse that God gives you. And, yeah. I mean, delight yourself in the wife of your youth, absolutely. But, I mean, I'm looking at this and saying, we are supposed to be so taken and so passionate and so in love with and so dedicated and so committed to the spouse that God puts us with that nothing, no one, no how, no way ever can draw us away from that spouse. Where right. You know, you read these touching stories about these folks who are like in their 80s or 90s and they're testifying that they are more madly in love with one another 50, 60 years down the road than they were even when they got first got married or whatever. And you say, wow, that is awesome. Because those two people, and invariably they always turn out to be born-again believers too, those two people, they get it. Right. They understand what that commandment is really about. It's about being united together as one flesh, I mean, Jesus quoted that from Genesis chapter 2, one flesh with one another, together, yeah. forever, you know, and that's the, that's, that commandment wasn't put in place to try to say, oh no, don't do that, although it does that. That commandment is in place to admonish and encourage and lift us up to the place where we are able to maintain and passionately follow hard after and be totally committed to maintaining, blessing, growing, and increasing that love relationship with your wife to where no one can absolutely satisfy you like that person God put you, well, you know, our, matched you with. Our time is, is slowly dripping away, but I want to ask you two practical questions, two pastoral questions, and the okay. first one is this. All right. Uh, what do you give to the? What advice do you give to the the couple that's struggling? And it's like, okay, brother Carl, I hear what you're saying, but you don't know the woman I'm living with here. And I, I maybe the the wife is like, I don't know, this guy wasn't the guy that I married. You know, he he was a football star in college, and now he's, you know, uh, sitting at the couch eating Cheetos all day. How do I fall in love with this guy? It takes effort, and it takes work, but it also requires person to be enough of a person of integrity to remember that that promise they made at the altar is still good and it's still in place yes the person might if you excuse the expression yeah the person you married may not be the dashing knight shining armor you know the big time football hero the, the awesomely powerful musician or whatever when you married them but they're still on the inside the same person. Hmm. Those things that you saw in them, those characteristics that you fell in love with, believe it or not, the, the doofus on the couch stuffing his face with junk food all day is still really, at heart, that same person they were when, and hopefully they've matured some in the, in the intervening years, they're still that same person. And so, yeah, it may be hard. It may be difficult. But when I've done marriage counseling, invariably I've never gotten a repeat visit because I refuse to take sides in that. Mm. And, but without fail, I generally looked the other person or both of them in the eye and said, grow up. Yeah. No, that person's not perfect. But they're still the person God put you together with. 
stop wanting them to be perfect. They're not going to be. Right. If you're looking for the perfect spouse, they don't. That person doesn't exist. But that's the person that God put you with. Give it your best shot. Don't give up. Don't quit. Never stop trying. Um, find a way to rekindle the relationship. Work at it. Put in some time. No, they aren't. You know, six foot two. You know, one eighty five with six pack abs. Now maybe they have put on a spare tire in the middle. And maybe they don't have all their hair, but that's still a real person. Hmm. And we're individually created by God as individuals. And that person is still worth your time to work at it, to give it your best shot, to try hard and never give up, and to maintain that relationship, whatever the cost. Well, and I think it's worth it. I think for me, the best piece of marriage advice I got was uh, from a counselor who said, you know, you shouldn't look for look for something in your wife that you can only receive from your relationship with Christ. If you're looking for perfection, there's only one place to get that, and that's from Christ. If you're looking for someone to fulfill your deepest needs, that's only found in a relationship with Christ. Um, and that kind of transformed how I looked at, you know, this is a, I have all these expectations of what my wife should be, but then I, you know, okay, nobody fulfills these expectations. Um, and, and I need to grow in my relationship with Christ. As I grow in Him, I am. Uh, I find my love towards others also begins to grow. Amen. Um, you know, very within the last year, I did a wedding sermon, and I had the man and the woman who were married, and I took my arms and I said, "Put your hands together." And they did, you know, at the elbows, and they had their palms together, and then I said. The world is going to spend its time trying to pull you apart, you know. And I, was, I physically actually grabbed one arm of the man and the woman arm of the woman and tried to pull them apart. I said, "You let Christ be in the center of that relationship; He's going to hold you together." Yeah. And so what I did then was I took both my arms and put them on the outside of their clasped arms, to where my left and my right arm were on the outside of their arms joined together. And I said, "When tough times come, you know, because I was." kind of illustrating myself as being Jesus at that time, although I know that I'm not. <laughs> when tough times come, it's Jesus who is going to hold you together. So mm. the best way in the world you can be the best husband or wife you can be is to increase your intimacy with Jesus. And the more you love Jesus, the more you're going to yeah. love your spouse. So let me jump to my second question here, um, okay. as, as we're a little over time. But um, from a pastoral perspective, again, what is the counsel you have when that relationship does experience uh, the hurt and offense of adultery? What do you say to the other spouse who, who's left wondering, why? what do I do here? My, my husband or my wife has, has had this intimate relationship with somebody else. What are my options? What should I be doing? How do I get over this hurt? going to be hard to look somebody in the eye and say yeah you got to forgive them and that sounds so trite and so worn out but when that happens my focus is on the person who strayed and I said you took a promise you made a promise in front of literally God and everybody be faithful to your spouse right now you have broken that covenant relationship you promised to have and if you want to be right with God, you go over there, you get on your knees, and you beg that spouse for forgiveness. 
you know, you may not think you need to, and you may be prideful enough to where you don't want to do that, and you may not think it's necessary. But right now, what is important is your relationship with Christ and your eternal future. And yes, I believe in eternal security, but there's a there's a boundary there that was crossed. And I said, if you are interested in your relationship with Christ and being right with God, you're going to go over there and you're going to get on your knees and you're going to beg your wife or husband for forgiveness. Because if you're not right with your spouse in a relationship, you can't be right with God. Yeah. Period. And if you're not in right, right, right relationship with your spouse, you are not in right relationship with God. Right. And if you're not in right relationship with your local church, you are not in a right relationship yeah. with God. And so that's my focus, and that's probably the reason I never got too many return engagements <laughs> on marriage counseling. Well, As I said, hey, this is, where the, this is where the rubber meets the road. Get your life right with Christ, then you'll get your life, life right with your wife or your spouse, and then you'll be where you're supposed to be. You know, that last point you mentioned is really important, just the necessity of the local church, because with the church... And I think some reasons why people don't like it is there is accountability. And so, because when I'm listening to this, I'm thinking, man, how can I forgive someone? How can I trust them ever again? Well, if you're in, if you're an active member of a local church, you have people there to support you and to help yes. you to Amen. keep this other guy accountable or this woman accountable or whatever. And um, you, you have a built-in support group there that can come around you, especially that time, and love and 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 help you and assist you and, and try Absolutely. to get that working again. Well, Michael, I want to thank you for taking the time to come on the podcast. We've had, uh, you know, the listeners won't recognize this, but we had a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, scheduling conflicts. In fact, we were supposed to do this a couple weeks ago, then I got violently ill, and then uh, we had some yeah, technical difficulties that, here. Um, so thanks for, for enduring through this podcast. Not a problem. But before I go, I want to um, recommend, we always end each podcast with some recommended resources about going a little deeper, and I've got a couple here that I think would help, and uh, Michael, if you want to think about some, that's that's great as well, but uh, Letters to a Would-Be Adulterer is a series of blog articles on the Desiring God website uh, by John Piper and others uh, I think is helpful here, and a book that, two books that helped me, at least within my marriage, uh, when Sinners Say I Do by Dave Harvey. I'll just even show the title. Uh, because I married a sinner and definitely she married a, a worse sinner. <laughs> um, but whenever you have two people coming together, you have sin and you have difficulties arising from that. And then finally, uh, by Paul David Tripp, What Did You Expect? Redeeming the Realities of Marriage, which was helpful. And then uh, one last book that I've been kind of using a little bit in the series, uh, but not as much as I probably should have. And that's a little book by Al Mohler entitled Words from the Fire. And uh, really gets into, in this chapter, gets into not just physical adultery, but spiritual adultery uh, of how we often stray from God. We didn't even get to that part in this podcast. So you want to get that book and, and get in there. Uh, Michael, is there anything else that you would you'd throw in there? No, except uh, in terms of spiritual adultery, you go back to the first three commandments. Yeah. That one. Because... Um, how often do we remember reading in the prophets, especially in Hosea and others, about how God illustrated Israel's unfaithfulness to him by using the picture, word picture as it were, of marital adultery. Yeah. And 
As a matter of fact, I would actually say adultery is almost akin to or is related to the sin of idolatry. Yeah. Because if you think you're entitled to go fool around on your wife or your husband, then you are actually putting yourself as God yeah. and saying, my need is more important than my fulfillment of my covenant promise. So therefore, you've basically exalted yourself to the number one spot. Right. So if you commit adultery, you're likely committing idolatry at the same time. Right. Well, and remember, you can also uh, hear more from Michael on the Power for Living podcast. That's uh, mostly his sermons, and I'll put that link up on our website. Of course, I want to encourage you to do that only after you're up to date on all your basic Bible podcast listening. Then feel free to uh, to cheat on us. Well, can I put in a plug and give the URL for my podcast page? Absolutely. It's uh, Christ the King North Shore, all one word. It it's not case sensitive. Dot Podbean P O D B E A N dot com, and the most recent one is up there, and they go in reverse order, so. The most recent one is on top, the next one down hmm. there, and so on. But we've been the, one of the more interesting series we did before the Advent season was a series on the Book of James, hmm. and I had never preached through the Book of James, but boy, there is so much practical teaching on how to walk out your relationship with Christ on a daily basis in the Book of James. That's where Luther and I part company. He didn't like the book of James too much, but boy, preaching a sermon series on that, I found out there's more nuts and bolts ways to find how to walk properly and rightly with Jesus in the book of James than, well, it's equal to all of the others, but man, this book is powerful Yeah. when you well, look at what he was really trying to say. Well, we got to wrap it up here, so thanks for listening. Join us back next week. We'll, have, we'll be on the Eighth Commandment. We're talking about stealing with uh caleb powers and michael uh you might be offended by this but we get a little political here um i say that jokingly but um oh not jokingly we do get a little political on that and talking about even getting into a little bit about socialism and taxes and whatnot uh -huh. but uh don't let that from stop you from listening to the podcast so check out our website www.basicbiblepodcast.org and check out our facebook group also uh actually we just started a facebook page and uh, on Twitter at Basic Bible Cast. Also on the Facebook page is that as well. So check all of that out. So until next week, have a great rest of your week.